Ladies and gentlemen, this is David Miracatani. Welcome to another episode of Matt Chat. Today I am joined by the associate head coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions, the defending national champions, Cody Sanderson. Cody, thanks for making some time to come on the show for me. Yeah, no problem. Happy to do it. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it's a tough season. It was a tough tournament, but uh, you know, it felt pretty good to end the way it ended. Yeah, I had a chance to bump into you in the tunnel a couple times that weekend, and um, we've had a chance to talk before. I really just kind of want to talk a little bit about what happened a couple weeks ago. So, you know, from my point of view, and I think a lot of the people on Media Row, it was a lot like the tortoise and the hare, where, you know, Ohio State ran out to a big lead. Um, Andy Hamilton and I had talked about how important Nick Lee was, and he loses in the first round, and then Albert loses in the first round. So he's got, you know, an 8-9 matchup in the first round wrestlebacks instead of the round of 16. And it just really didn't look great for you guys on paper. But, you know, when I'm down in the tunnel, I'm watching Kale and Casey and yourself and, and Varner and the rest of your crew, and you guys really just have this real sense of calm and serenity. What is, what is the mentality as all this stuff is going on for you guys? Um, well, it's, it's definitely emotional. I mean, there's a lot going through your mind at the time. You know, we started out with a couple losses in, in the tournament. And, um, you know, I don't think that our guys wrestled bad. Yeah, I think we lost on mistakes. Uh, I know often that the same thing. So what I mean is that speed, strength, uh, performance out there was fine. And we got beat in some technical positions. And, um, you know, Nick went down the way and, you know, a good number of the crowd went and wild as they should. I mean, that, that's part of sports. You know, somebody goes down early. But, you know, I just remember thinking, oh, well, here we go. You know, we're going to have to battle a little bit harder coming back through, right? You know, this this is why we do it, you know. We can't we can't tell our guys to expect challenges and overcome them if we're not willing to face the same challenges as coaches and, and approach it the same way. Yeah, and I guess like a guy like a Nick Lee, like, I mean, on I know you hope all ten guys or nine guys win and, are all national champions, but you I mean you know who your hammers are and who, you know, on paper are, are big favorites for at least the first few rounds. When a Nick Lee, a guy that you guys, you know, pulled out a red shirt and you guys have been really smart about doing this, when he loses, does somebody go over and, and sit with him and talk to him about his mentality, or is it just kind of like, well, we've done this work all year and that guy kind of knows how to handle it? Uh, well. You hope he knows how to handle it. It's the first time at the tournament. He's a young wrestler. But one thing about Nick Lee is, you know, he's a guy that you don't want to run into coming down the backstretch. <laughs> for right? sure, yeah. Right? Sure, right. He's one of those guys because he's actually the maturity that he has, even displayed this year after a couple losses, he's pretty darn good about saying, okay, what did I do wrong? What do I need to do different? And, and then he kind of puts a smile on his face and puts it behind him. Um better than most veterans do actually and so i said nick you just made a bad tournament for a lot of guys you're going to come back through this and you got a lot more wrestling to do that matches behind us let's go and he said okay coach you know that's what he did that's cool how you guys turned it around and you know said look it's going to be a problem for other people and it's not like hey you know this is a problem for us i love that so you know, obviously, you know, the Friday morning, the worm turned. And I, to me, watching the team race, uh, Keyshawn Hayes, who's a Missouri guy, he, you know, from Missouri and Ohio State, he loses in tiebreakers and ends up getting a tough draw on the back, which if he wins that match, Ohio State picks up at least seven more points just for him taking sixth. Meanwhile, the guys that you had that were, you know, on were favorites to win on paper, they keep winning maybe a few less bonus points than some of us expected. Um, I remember when we had really good teams, I would, when I coached about 95% of the time, you know, I was worried about my guys. But if I'm honest, 5% of me was watching the scoreboard, just kind of, okay, well, you know, do I really need to talk to this guy about bonus or, you know, that kind of thing. How do you guys approach that, you know, sort of the split between just worrying about your guys and scoreboard watching? Well, what we try to do is 100% of the time, focus on our guys and their task, right? I mean, right, that, yeah. What we do, I mean, it's, it's, there's so much going on there and there's so much wrestling and there's so many storylines and guys are winning and guys are getting beat. You know, it's, you know, it's what we love, but, you know, there's, there's the human element where 
you know, I can't help but look at the scoreboard and I can't help but sit, watch some of the other matches. Um, you know, what I'm really careful not to do is, is to look forward in brackets. I mean, I just, all that does is make me nervous. You know, when you start playing out scenarios, you know, there's a, there's an infinite number of scenarios. And if I sit and try, start trying to play those out, it just it wears on you. So I don't look at brackets. I just look at the next guy we have. And we try to get our guys to do the same thing. But, I mean, I can't help but peek at the scoreboard or peek out there and see what's going on. But I think maybe the one thing I'm really careful of is I try not to – I try not to get into anyone else's matches. Another team, if they win, good. If they lose, you know, that's fine. You know, I just – the best way for me to approach it is to be happy for our guys and the success that they have and really not worry about someone else. You know, certainly not cheer for someone else to lose because that sort of thing starts to eat you up. And it's just not something I'm willing to do. It feels like it's bad karma too, right? Like, I mean, like – the people out there were rooting for Jason Nolp to not be 100% or those kind of things. Like, it feels like that's going to get you back later in life, I think, right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I just know that, that internally, uh, you know, maybe you don't have the external um, consequences, let's use that word, but, you know, internally that sort of thing starts to eat at you and you start focusing on the wrong things. The next thing you know, you're a fan and you're a cheerleader rather than somebody focusing on the goals of your individual athletes. Yeah, that makes sense. So we we've, we fast forward to Saturday now, and Ohio State had obviously a lot more guys wrestling in the morning than you did. And uh, I think I saw a quote from Tom Ryan on, on track wrestling where he, he, I think he said something they didn't feel like they gutted out quite as many as those close matches as they needed to. And so I think you guys are down like six points or so. And we're going to talk a little bit about team points and some of the craziness that happened. But six points or so going into the finals. And uh, basically, you guys have to win two more matches than Ohio State does. So you you may have already asked answer this. You're not looking forward in the brackets. Obviously, you're at the end of the bracket now, and you're trying not to think about team score. But is the you guys are 100% just focused on what do we have to do to help Zane beat Ronnie Perry and, and Nolf beat Heidley, et cetera? Or is somebody – I mean, and, and I feel weird asking this because either way, I, I know how smart and analytical you are, but I also know you focus on the task at hand. Somebody's got to be keeping track of the team points, right? Like, I mean, that's, oh, that's kind of why you wrestle the tournament. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we look at them. I just, I think we know. I mean, we've been around it enough. You know, you know that, you know that if somebody gets beat in the semifinal and they're a top guy, they can come through the back and they score bonus points and they make up a lot for it. And then they can they can get a lot of points moving into fifth place or third place or getting bonus points along the way, um, you know. And so again, I know what's going on, so I just try not to worry about it, and it's just a distraction. I mean, I I go back to a personal story when I was my senior year at Iowa State. We put five guys, four or five guys. Yeah, I think we put four guys into the finals, and we took a little bit of a team lead. Iowa had more guys coming back to the back and ended up scoring a, a bunch of points and beat us by a few points at the end to win the national championship. And so, you know, I've kind of lived it. I, I know how it can go. And so I don't really need somebody tallying it up for me. You know, I just know that if our guys wrestle, I mean, I, I can look at the team score and I, if our guys do what they're capable of doing, they can still win. And that's good enough. And then you focus on the guys individually. Yeah. And even that, the serenity and the calmness in that, I think I had Joe McFarland on last week and, you know, he had such a great career and, you know, got to end on a high note. And, uh, you know, he talked about how just emotionally draining those three days are because, you know, you live and die with your guys and, you know, you love your kids. And, you know, I think kids feed off your, the coach's energy. So I think if you guys are, you know, real excitable and all over the place, it probably drains the emotions out of them. And if you guys are calm and focused, I think the same thing. So your ability to do that is, I think is probably a subtle part of being really good coaches. Well, I think a lot of that just comes from, I mean, Kel's the leader of this team. He's the leader of the program and that's how he approaches it. You know, that's how he's approached it as an athlete. Um, I mean, there's a, you don't know him. You've never been up close. You might not know there's a, a simmering intensity in there. Uh, you know, a few people have been able to see it, but 
our, our guys know he's intense. They know he's intensely competitive, but he's also pretty rock solid emotionally. And I think they're able to use that as maybe a base to keep themselves grounded. Like, well, coach isn't panicked. He's not running around um, <laughs> out of control. And he let, I mean, so why would you run around out of control, right? Don't get me wrong, but you know, for the most part, kind of keep it calm and keep it even. And I think that maybe that gives them a solid foundation to, to you know, jump off of and go do what they need to do. He he did a really calm, nice body lift of Bo Nickel after that pin. <laughs> yeah, that's you know there was a few instances there. It's you got to see what uh, just pure emotion when somebody lets it go looks like. You saw that a few different times there at the end. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, I'm teasing. When you clinch it and your last guy wins, if you don't, yep. if you don't cut it loose a little bit, then you know you kind of wonder if you're dealing with an android. <laughs> so, right. Yep. Anyway, so there's a there's a couple. I, I thought about what I wanted to ask you, and there's just some guys and situations that I think, you know, if we had a chance to sit down with you, we'd want to ask about. So, the first one was at 197. You have you know you have Rashid versus Kassar, and. I'm going to ask like four or five questions and then just shut up. Like how hard was the decision? What was the criteria or factors that went into it? Were potential bonus points an issue? It seemed like to us it would be. Um, they both really seem like great kids. And how was like team chemistry an issue or, you know, when you're trying to make this decision? Well, I'll tell you to start out with the um, – that was, that was going to be a tough situation, potentially. You have two, two guys very well liked by the rest of the team. You know, both of them are, are great team players. And they're both good enough to, I think, challenge to be national champions. They're both good enough to be All-Americans, but ultimately only one of them can compete. And I guess the first is I'd like to give a lot of credit to both of them because both handle it with a ton of maturity. You know, anytime you have somebody get beat for a spot like that, you know, there's potential for them to get down, um, maybe complain, uh, even if it's not intentional. You know, there can be a potential letdown, emotional letdown that, that spreads across the team. But uh, and Shakur and, and especially Kassar, and those guys handled it with dignity and just a lot of maturity. I mean, Kassar could have been upset. So he wanted to be there. He wanted to be out there competing. Uh, but he made it possible for the team to move forward and be okay with what happened and ready to go win a championship as a team. And so a ton of credit goes to him for the team being able to stay together the way they did because that's a fear. It's a real fear, and every yes. coach has it when yeah. they have a wrestle-off. What happens? How does the team look at this, right? Are they okay with it? Are they not okay with it? You know, as leaders, you know, those things you've got to think about. Ultimately, you have to make the decision. Akel has to make the decision with us counseling it. But those are things that you talk about. But those get great. And then as far as, like, the specifics of it, and I don't really want to go into specifics of how the decision is made, but um, we felt like we looked them in their way, you know, they determined it, you know, in the way that they we would normally do for a certain situation. Right? They, we felt like they both had a chance to get out there. Ultimately, you know, Shakur was the guy that we put out there on the mat. And, you know, we just, with those situations, we're talking about it before, and we just say, you know, we just hopefully we're doing the right thing by each individual and by the team. And and hopefully we did. Yeah. It, it kind of dovetails into an interesting conversation about wrestle-offs. Like, my, you know, my father, I know you know him, he, you know, he's an old, old-school guy and, and kind of really believed in wrestle-offs. And as um, I talked to him more and more, I thought wrestle-offs really were sort of antiquated, like – you know, if you and me are going for the same spot and you're better than me, every day we work out, I think in a lot of ways it helps me catch up to you. It doesn't help you necessarily extend your gap on me. And it feels like, okay, well, who's the better citizen? Who's, you know, being a better teammate? Who's doing all the, you know, all the other intangible things? Plus, who's winning matches in tournaments and things like that? Like, if you were giving advice to people about wrestle-offs, how heavily would you weight those? Um, well, generally speaking, you know, kind of a, an overall, I think that beginning of a season, we kind of start with wrestle-offs to get it going. You have to have a starting point, and that gives you something to work from, and then you move through the season. And then ultimately, at some point, it may come down to wrestle-off at the end. You know, we don't necessarily like it to be 
at that point. You know, hopefully there's been enough that's happened during the season or someone has been able to determine that they're, it's going to be able to, to move the furthest at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that they're initially really important. They get you going. And then hopefully we don't have to do it again, but occasionally we do. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it sort of sets the ladder, but then, you know, just if you beat me, it doesn't mean I can't catch up. All those other factors come into play, I would guess, right? Yeah, yeah. it can be hard, though. I think that uh, as an athlete, I dealt with this year. You know, one of the most stressful parts, one of the most stressful things in a season is when there is some uncertainty. You might get some starting matches. Someone's getting some starting matches. You really know. Sometimes your focus becomes this guy in the room that you're trying to beat rather than everybody else around the country. And that can be hard on an athlete too. That's why these situations can be very tricky and they're hard and they can be emotionally exhausting for, for everyone involved. So it can be tricky. I said before, we just, we talk about it and we hope that we make decisions as we move through it. You know, sometimes decisions can be a little bit clouded by emotion when you're in the thick of it, but you know, we do the best we can to make sure we do what's right. Yeah, for sure. So I want to ask you about Mark Hall. Obviously, he took second. He, he, to me, didn't really look like himself at all in the finals. All credit to Zahid, who wrestled amazing all year long. I know he's only a sophomore, but obviously his age group, you know, wins are off the charts. What really struck me about Hall, and it's kind of interesting, when I would go to nationals before I worked for track, for like three years in a row, Hall sat right in front of me. I mean, he didn't know who I was, obviously, but it was interesting watching him interact with his dad, and he seemed to watch the matches. I mean, he was very analytical even then. I remember, like, watching him watch the matches. But one of the things that struck me about him this year was when Nickel pinned Martin in the finals, and I know some of this might have to do with the fact that he just wrestled, but Hall was the first guy to congratulate him. And it wasn't just that he, like, shook his hand. Like, he was fired up for him. And – I think I was already a Mark Hall fan, but if I wasn't, I was after that. And, you know, I think that just says a ton about him. You know, what is maybe, I mean, he's obviously been well-documented. What is maybe something about Mark that the general public doesn't know? Um, Well, I think what you said right there kind of says it. You saw the look in his eye. Um, You know, I saw him go out to Bo. I was actually kind of trying to get out there by myself, but the cop grabbed me. So, <laughs> um, but I was I was there when when Mark got through, and it was joy, you know, when when you see just pure excitement and joy for the success of another person. You that shows you kind of what kind of young man he is. He's he's caring, he's respectful, you know, he's somebody that we are proud to have in our program, and you know he does that on a daily basis. You know, it was. When when Bo won, it was Bo's moment, and Mark was so excited for him that, for me, it was an incredible thing to see. Yeah, it it was. I just I, you know like obviously there were some other guys there from other teams that showed less than stellar behavior, and that became you know some talking points. But I mean, I lost in the junior college finals, and it's not the same level, but it was gut wrenching for me. And then. You know, to be able to bounce back, I mean, not even 10 minutes later. Well, maybe 10 minutes later after the awards, but obviously that final match didn't last very long. And to just that genuine that genuine brotherhood was really impressive to me. So speaking of, of Bo Nickel, um, I mean, talk about clutch. Uh, yeah, I talked to Andy Hamilton at the beginning of the year, and I thought – I said I thought – that Martin would win one of their three meetings just because beating a guy as good as Martin three times is really, really difficult. You know, that being said, Bo did it and obviously did the last one with style. And I'm sure most people realize this, but had Martin won that match and then Snyder wins, Ohio State wins the team title. So, I mean, there's a million things that go into all those points, but, you know, that that was the last sort of, tipping point to quote you know to quote Malcolm Gladwell so you know tell me about Nickel what makes him so special well, well it's kind of an interesting situation we're talking about there because you have a Bo who, who who knows I mean we don't focus on the teams we talked about but he knows 
going out there, what has to be done. And on the other side, you have the young man from Ohio State who knows this, the same thing, what he needs to do. And they're both coming into it with the same individual pressure, and they're both coming into it with the same goals for a team. So coming into it is kind of an interesting scenario. And I think that, you know, regardless of what happened, it was going to be a great match because they're both great competitors. But, uh, you know, I think that Bo is, I mean, the kid loves to compete and he believes that he can be the very best and he is willing to go for it. And we've seen it over and over again. And at sometimes uh, his aggressiveness in certain situations, I'm not comfortable with. And I, and I just like, gosh darn it, right? I mean, maybe, maybe pull it back just a little, but, you know, that's not who Bo is. And when we watched him wrestling as as a youth, and when we recruited him, we saw that same thing. That he knew what he wanted, and he was going to go for it. And he wasn't going to change who he was to get there. And that's what you saw. I mean, he, he loved that position he was in. Um, yeah, what was it, man? That, 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 uh, that whole scenario with – with guy in on his legs, Bo. I think initially stopping the shot a bunch of times in slow. I think Bo initially stopped the shot. Thought he had the position to flip him over. Uh, Martin adjusts, gets to his legs, and then Bo's in trouble. And then he wiggles around like he does. And the next thing you know, you know he's he's on top going for the fall. And I've seen him do that so many times. I've seen him do it in practice, you know, over and over and over again. So. He's just willing to go be the person that he is out there. And that's – that's we want that, right? You want that as coach. You want your athlete to be who they are. You know, that's why you recruited them. That's why they're successful. Uh, but it's so hard to do that at that top level. You know, he refuses to not be himself. How about that? Yeah, I think what – I think it's true in any level of coaching, you know, whether you're coaching the Little League or, you know, World Championships – to get guys to pull the trigger in the biggest moments is one of the hardest things to do. And, you know, when they interviewed him afterwards and he was like, I've been in this position a million times. I think, I think people that don't understand take that as arrogance. And to me, it's like, that's either the best lie ever, or that kid wrestles better a lot. You know, cause like, <laughs> I mean, right. It's either, he's either going to be a politician one day cause he can think really quickly on his feet or he genuinely does that a lot and like you said you know you watch that tape over and over he's calm the whole time like and and that's i think that's as much reason as any why he got it because if you panic and give up for even a split second that that position becomes a real problem so it it, it, he seems like a guy like you said like you recruited him for this reason but as much as anybody he seems like a guy that does what he does all the time for good or for bad. Yeah, I mean, he went out there and ended up on his back, didn't panic, ended up on top for a pin in the national finals. And, you know, in a situation, a scenario that I don't remember ever seeing in my life, you know, it was an incredible, incredible moment. Yeah, yeah. Sort of a, yeah, understated way to cap off the tournament for you guys, right? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Um, Vincenzo Joseph, I mean, this guy to me is amazing. I watched him his senior year at Fargo lose. He was injured, but he lost to Isaiah White. And, you know, he's two for two. He's the only guy of your 10 starters right now that can win four national titles. And he's not even usually the first guy mentioned when we talk about your team. I mean, look at me. He's the third guy, fourth guy I'm bringing up. So he's a, I have this saying, I don't think I created it, but, like, there's T-shirt guys and there's singlet guys. And he, to me, is like 150% a singlet guy. You find the biggest, brightest light you can shine on this guy, and he's going to wrestle the best. So, you know, is that how you – let me just start with this. How do you guys see Vincenzo in in sort of his ability to wrestle best in the big moments? Well, he's just tough. You know, it comes down to he was in a couple tough matches this year and, and gutted him out. He's just tough. And, you know, I think maybe the perfect example of this national last tournament was when we were out of Rutgers. I mean, he had to go out and wrestle against a very tough Rutgers kid after seeing Nolf get injured and potentially be done for the season. Yeah. And I can't really describe the feeling that went across the team at that moment, just like that, that sickness that you get when you see something happen like that. And – 
I could hardly really gather my thoughts. I had to think straight. And he's got to go out there and wrestle after it. And he composed himself, and he went out there, and it was a darn tough battle, and he found a way to come on top and win. Because that's just who he is. And that's what he does in those tough situations. He's really good at putting everything else aside and just doing what he does. And even through the season and matches, he might be in a tough spot, but he still finds a way to come out on top. And he does it over and over and over again. So it's just, it's mentally, he has a pretty interesting ability to, to do that. Um, even when he gets, you know, he got a beat this year a couple times. And, you know, I'm one of the first guys back there because, you know, uh, Cunningham, Markel, they're, they're coaching the next guy up, and I'm back there and back with him. And just for him, I mean, he's upset, but for him, pretty quickly he can put it in perspective. Like, well, I got beat. I made a stupid mistake. I'm not going to do that again. What's next? And he's really good at that. And I think that's why you see him just kind of plug away match after match and just find ways to win championships. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, one of the things, you know, I watched the Big Tens, and his match with Imar was really interesting. Like, hardly any scrambles on their feet. You know, Imar rode him just long enough to get the riding time point. And then he, and, and Martinez did a really good job of keeping Vincenzo out of his comfort positions the last, you know, 45 seconds to a minute of the match. Um, how did that loss impact his training and mindset, you know, those last 10 days going into the tournament? Well, I think kind of what we talked about before with him, like mindset, he's very good at looking at it and moving on. So he's really consistent with his mindset. But I think what that match specifically really helped him formulate the game plan for the next time. Because Martinez is too good to just kind of be standing around in a match that ends up one point going into the third period. Now, you really don't want to be in that position. I mean, anybody. I mean, would you? Uh, no. But, yeah, exactly. I, but, but with Vincenzo, like, okay, well, he kind of said something, you know, generally is like, man, I wasn't really doing anything out there. You know, I, I can't wrestle him like that. I can't just kind of wait around and hold good position. I got to go wrestle. That's exactly right, right. Go wrestle. If it's taken down, so what? But if you're down... 2-1 or you're down 4-2 coming out of the first period, that's fine. You can still win that match. You just got to go wrestle. And I think that was the approach they took going into finals, and it worked for them. Yeah. And, and, you know, from like an overall sort of coaching standpoint, his comfort level in overhooks and what I would call tight ties seem like almost the perfect kryptonite where Martinez likes to wrestle in those underhooks and tight ties. and you know, it felt to me like for most of the first period, it was wrestled where Martinez liked. And then Vincenzo gets his overhooks and hits that little inside trip, like right on the edge. And I'm sitting next to Andy Hamilton. I think there was like 18 seconds. You know, don't quote me on the exact time, but something like that. And I'm like, this is huge. If if Martinez gets out, you know, it's still a match If if Vincenzo can ride him. It's going to take either two takedowns or a ride out at the end of the period or a big move to get back in this thing. And Vincenzo goes and gets that tilt. And I looked at Andy and I just go, this is over. Because, you know, Imar's got to get to his best positions. He gets there and then Joseph brings him up. I mean, it's almost like Vincenzo's the perfect guy to wrestle Imar. How, how do you see that just in their styles and everything? Um. Yeah, I don't know if I would say, like, the, the perfect guy. How about I term it a little different? I just think that Vincenzo's equally as good in his position as Martinez is in his position. So you have this interesting clash of guys that are both, at this point, two, two-time national champions going and doing what they do best. And, you know, it was a little give and take, and, and Vincenzo was, you know, the first time was able to start from that position. And then if he's able to, I don't want to say slow it down, but if he's able to not take too many risks in those positions, he's going to be really hard to score on. Yeah. I mean, just he, when you watch match after match, that kid is hard to take down. I mean, his hips are so good. His baseline defense is just, it's incredible. And his ability to protect his feet from people getting angles on him is 
good probably as anybody in the country. For sure. Yeah. So I want to jump to Nolf. I know, you know, we're never going to really know the extent of his injury. And you kind of mentioned, you know, when you described what happened at Rutgers tied to Vincenzo, it, you know, to me, I guess I would have thought it almost felt like a death in the family because, you know, you guys are, you know, a brotherhood. And when you see somebody go down like that, it's, there's not a lot of words, but um, his, how was his journey sort of inspirational to the guys on your team? And he seen, he's such a quiet, soft-spoken kid. Like a year ago when he celebrated, it was almost like somebody forced him to celebrate a little bit. How much did winning this year mean to him, you know, overcoming that injury? Well, you know, I I really haven't had that conversation with him. But Matt's side, uh, at the end, I saw a, kind of a different expression and emotional release that I don't really see with him very often. Because really? he's also one of these guys that feels like, I'm going to win. That's what I'm here to do. Nobody's going to stop me. And that's just how he approaches it in a humble way, right? It's a it's a humble confidence that, that he has. And I think maybe for one of the first times I've seen coaching him is that maybe deep down in there and I might be wrong and he might be mad at me for saying but maybe deep down in there there's a little bit of doubt because he was hurt bad and yeah I mean the the work that he went through to get back was was incredible but there was almost some relief in him when he got his hand raised in the year. last year there wasn't he got his hand raised and because that's what he does Right. He gets his hand raised and and then he moves on. But there was it was good it was good to see. It's almost like you get to see that um, you know there's a, a human side in there. And man, how happy I was and for him to to go through what he did. And you know when when it happened and when we first kind of found out what happened, I my thought was well, anyone can do it. It's not. I don't know anyone else that might be able to come back from this and, and be ready to go. And, and a week out from the Big Ten tournament, he's wrestling in practice, and I'm telling him, "Oh yeah, you look great." I'm thinking, "Oh boy, <laughs> oh no, I don't know, I don't know how this is gonna go." As soon as you started right? that sentence, I knew where you were going. Yeah. Right? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Hey, how did I look? I'm like, wow, yeah, man, you're fast and strong, and shoot, you're unstoppable, and you know. But I never, so. I didn't think he necessarily looked great in those those times, but I also believed that he could still do it because he's Jason Nolf and he found a way and he's so good that and he's so tough that he can he could still win it. So I never doubted that for me. I my thought was if they can get him back and he's could be safe, he can win. Yeah. His creativity is something I think that a lot of us I mean, you know, he's making these highlight reels that, you know, people like track are putting together, you know, doing a lot of, you know, almost jujitsu inspired moves. Like how much fun is he just to like coach or like sort of almost brainstorm or roll around with as he, as you guys seek out these new positions or holds? Well, he just has a, a lot of joy in what he does. He loves it. He loves to wrestle. He loves to experiment. He loves to learn. He wants to do different things. If he sees something he likes, he's going to try it. He's going to try to make things up, and I mean, how can you not like it? I mean, talk about well, this is a, you know, it's just a sport. It's just a game, you know, it's for fun. And, you know, sometimes you say that and don't necessarily feel that way. But with him, that's what it feels like all the time. You know, he's he's enjoying himself, and he brings that, you know, that excitement and energy to practice every day, even when he was injured. And we were getting ready for one of the matches, he wasn't supposed to be on the mat, and he was out there bouncing around on one leg, hitting people with dodgeballs, and the whole time I'm cringing because I know it's just going to – you're going to fall down, and, and that's going to be it. But there's no telling him you can't be out on the mat. Right? Yeah. He's going to bounce around on one leg, and, and that's what he's going to do. Oh, my and God. And it's, it's – no, I, I'm, I'm grateful to, to, to coach him. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of guys you're grateful to have coached, um, I saved your senior for last, Zane Rutherford, just, you know, one of the all-time greats. I think, you know, we, we had talked about this, like guys like him and Snyder this year, you know, just greatness. Three-time champ, three undefeated seasons, beat Logan Steber as a freshman, maybe the greatest 142, 149 of all time. 
And, you know, I, I don't know him at all, but he seems just like a happy-go-lucky kid till you put him on the mat, and then he just flips that switch. You know, besides his skill set, what makes him unique and special, and, and what do you think his international future is going to look like? He's just – when you talk about someone coachable, he's the guy that comes to mind. He does everything he's asked to do, and he does it right. He's incredibly consistent. Um, you know, we do like certain tests and monitoring these guys with their training and, and sleep and some of these things that we do, and he's incredibly consistent. I ask him to do it, and he says, okay. But, you know, and he'll tell you this also. I think a lot of that comes from his upbringing and his parents. And I've heard Kel talk about his parents before, um, so it's not you know, really a secret, but you know, that, that was the approach they, they took with him. And, you know, I talked to his dad once in a while, and, you know, his dad, I mean, he said, you know, well, here, I'll give you a quick story. So when we were talking about whether or not we should redshirt Zane, you know, you know, Zane wants to wrestle. Um, Zane's mom wants him to wrestle. He he doesn't <laughs> want important. a redshirt because that's Moms not what important. he does. Yeah. Right. And yeah. she's actually, she's the most competitive one of the bunch. You know, she's, she's a tough lady. Uh, but he, you know, we were, we were kind of, kind of back and forth and I actually talked to his dad one day and he just kind of, kind of said oh what do you think and it's like well you know I think whatever you guys are the coaches you guys talk to him and maybe let him tell you what he thinks you know it's kind of a general parent to coach talk and I said okay well we're going to get him in here I hung up he hung up a couple minutes later Al calls me back and he says you know what what we were talking about before, that's not right. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, here we go. Um, and he said, don't ask Zane what he wants to do. It's not Zane's choice. He has no say in the matter. You guys are the coaches. He went to wrestle for you, and he's going to do what he's asked to do. No bother talking to him about it. And I laughed myself and, and to him. I said, well, you know, I appreciate that. We're still going to talk to him. But that right there gives you, you know, a yeah. glimpse into how he was raised. Yeah, and th that's how they are. I don't know. I mean, I think that's pretty unique. No, you know, conversation think... for a parent to call and say, what are you talking about? You know, he's wrestling for you guys because he trusts you, and he's going to do exactly what you say. End of story. And that's how Zane is. That's a combination of a lot of factors, right? Of of the quality of people the parents are, the quality of people that the kid is, but also the amount of trust that they have in you and your staff, because you know, that's like you said, when, you know, you get the call back, you're like, oh, boy, like it's sort of you're expecting the millennial answer. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, where, where people aren't held accountable. So um, speaking of weird accountability, uh, I've been working on my segues with Andy Hamilton, so I'm trying to do better okay. here. <laughs> I've noticed they're pretty good, actually. <laughs> I'm trying, man. You uh -huh. know, got me out of a junior college corner. I'm trying to do better yeah. with these. So um, what are your thoughts about the team points? that were deducted from, and I guess it sort of evened out in the finals from, from Nickel and Snyder after winning their matches. I mean, I understand there's rules, but like, you know, Snyder throwing his headgear in the stands and Bo just getting genuinely excited. It wasn't like he taunted Martin or Ohio State. Like, it obviously didn't change the final order. I mean, obviously changed the team points historically, but didn't, you know, first stayed first, second stayed second, et cetera. But it definitely could have. I mean, what do you think about all that? You know, that's a tough question. I think it's a question you ask me today. I might have a different answer than I do tomorrow uh, because the, the rules are the rules, right? And we know the rules. And I guess if they're selectively enforced, you kind of have problems, right? So, uh, you know, I don't really know what the answer is because I, the rules were not necessarily written to cover what happened there. Then, you know, that wasn't the situation when, when they make the rule book, okay, this is how we need to do it. But, you know, that's how it's written. And, you know, I think that guys just need to know that going in. And, you know, I don't – I'd probably throw in my headgear too. Yeah. I mean, right. If I had a chance. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really know know the answer to that one. I don't really know what's best, you know, because it's kind of tricky. Um, you know, it was pure joy. There wasn't an intention to be 
uh, unsportsmanlike. I mean, that that's what the rule is. The, the intention wasn't really there, but, you know, the rules aren't based on the intentions of the athlete, right? The rules are based on the actions of the athlete. So, I mean, it was okay. I mean, <laughs> had we not won the national championship because someone threw a headgear, maybe I'd have a much stronger opinion about it. Yeah, that'd uh, but, be crazy, right? Like, right? literally, if that had happened. <laughs> I mean, it would be I, – I don't know how you – to handle something like that no i don't i don't know but i mean i i don't fault the officials for for making that decision because you know that, that's their job and you know they're you know you're supposed to see black and white you know they're just and no right and and so so they find i mean you know there's there's no no hard feelings i don't even know how to approach it i don't know if you carve out an exception for celebrations or no celebrations you know it's not like an end zone dance in football I mean, it's, it's different because, you know, those single points in wrestling can be so much more yeah. you know, than, 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 a, than a 10-yard penalty or whatever, well, right? So yeah. I, I, I don't know the answer. And, and the weird thing is, like, one point out of 130, theoretically, you know, well, not theoretically, you know, is like a lower percentage. But, like, if you have a team that scored 10 points and they go to 11 or 9 based on that, that, that might be the difference in two or three team places, you know, which could affect – a person's job and with the administration and everything else. So, yeah, it's, yeah, not, it's, it's not an easy answer, right? It's not. There's, I mean, I mean, just off the top of my head, uh, it was like 2011, I think we tied with Cornell at the Southern Scuffle. Two days of wrestling, all those matches, all those bonus points, the score's tied. Yeah. Right? So it can happen. I mean, yeah. I think at the Big Ten tournament that year, I think we beat Iowa by a point. Yeah, maybe it's a point and a half, something like that. So it can be that close. You know, fortunately it wasn't, and you know, I guess all's well that ends well. But yeah, I really don't, I really don't know know the answer to that one. Yeah, what's I gotta try to stump you with one thing, Cody. You're too dang smart. <laughs> so anyway, um, your guys' team really, as a whole, seems to wrestle probably as stress free as a group of guys, and I think that's like besides scoring bonus points and. You know, obviously, I know you guys get teased. You know, we're having fun. And, I mean, I know you listen and you pay attention to that. But I don't know that the fun is important as it is. You're just, I guess, maybe another way of saying it is that you guys are, seem like you're doing everything you can to reduce stress for these guys. Um, I, I'm I'm not going to ask you for the secret formula and how you're doing that. But, um, you know, we have a lot of kids that listen to this and kids' coaches. Um why is it so important to help kids learn how to to not add stress to them as they're as they're growing up in the sport? Well, the, let me kind of take that too. I think one part of it is I want to reduce the stress myself. Right? I mean, if I'm stressed out, I'm anxiety ridden. You know, that's gonna it's contagious. Right? That's something the guys are gonna sense and and they're gonna reflect that in their wrestling. So, you know, I wanna do things in a way or our coaching staff wanna do things in such a way that make it more enjoyable for the team. But you know, there's wrestling's a, it's a it's a tricky sport, right? I mean it's fun. But it's not fun in games. I think there's a difference. And and learning how to have fun or enjoy yourself is one thing that's a little bit trickier and uh it takes some time young wrestlers to learn that we I mean, go to youth wrestling practice and i take my i have a 10 year old he does a little wrestling here and there right and you go to soccer and hey, it's fun it's fun he's running they're kicking outside right the time the wrestling and, and it's a different type of fun but i think that's where as youth coaches and, and it's a tough job gosh darn it, i don't know how they do it and, and parents you know you got to find a way to make it an enjoyable experience for them and if they learn how to do that when they're at a younger age, then you know they're going to do that when they're when they're a little bit older, you know. And and I don't I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I'm a parent trying to figure that out myself. Uh, but you know, we we I would like it to be an enjoyable experience for myself. I'd like it to be a positive experience, and I want the same thing for the athlete. And so, so we focus on that. You know, I I, I got to think other coaches are focusing a lot on the same thing. I don't know. Maybe we spend more time. Maybe we spend less time. Maybe we just talk about it a little bit more but it's it's real i mean there's there's a there's a message of you know having fun and with what a, we're doing and there's a correlation obviously right like where guys that are stressed you know when you see these certain teams you know there's no happiness or joy win or lose it it, it, it kind of got to forget like at the end of the day like you did this sport when you first started it because you loved it 
And if, if somehow people are sucking the joy out of it, maybe it's, you know, the process needs to be reevaluated, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure. There's, there's going to be pain. There's going to be disappointment in, in anything that uh, worthwhile, that's worthwhile in pursuing. Right. And, and the same with wrestling. It's, you know, it's figuring out to enjoy that approach and keeping the right perspective, I think. You know, I don't know. I definitely don't have a perfect formula, and we're always working on it. I think just like every other coaching staff is out there. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, this is a tough question for me. I've done 70 podcasts. I don't think I've done anything that's been bulletin board material. I'm going to see a bunch of your guys at World Cup this weekend, so I don't want to get hurt. So let me try to <laughs> ask this question the right way. All your guys are obviously in shape, and, and certainly they compete well, but most of them are not overly ripped or muscular or gigantic for their weight classes. So how much are you guys stressing – skill and technique and flexibility, you know, over heavy, heavy weightlifting and, and trying to get huge for your weight classes? Um, well, that's, that's actually just a, a tough question to answer as well. I, I don't know. I, you know, I know what we do. I don't know necessarily what other coaches do. I think that you keep in mind that, you know, the sport of wrestling and, and, you know, that, that's, that's the goal is to be better wrestlers and individually we figure out what we think is the right approach. Um, you know, our guys lift, you know, they, they work hard, you know, you know, other, other things, just, just mat work. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's a, that's really a tough question to answer as well, because I'd be speaking as to the practices of other teams and other programs. Um, I think that generally speaking is that you want to be, lean and in shape and as strong as possible for your weight class. And, you know, I don't really think that's you know, going out on a limb to say that. Right, you know, obviously. I, I yeah. And maybe that's the approach. Maybe where we think someone should be size-wise size -wise for a weight class is different than, than what other coaches think. But, you know, really, you train right and you're strong as possible for your body size and, and you, you know, take care of yourself nutrition-wise and sleep-wise. You know, if you give up a couple pounds, a few pounds, Generally, I really don't think it hurts you. Yeah, I guess maybe that's it. Like, you guys seem like your philosophy is if a guy's a tweener, you know, hey, let's do everything else right and move you up where, where every day you're not – your sole focus isn't the scale. Is that is that a fair assessment of your guys' philosophy on that? I, I would – I mean, yeah, to a certain extent I would say that. Again, I don't really know what – I think every coach's definition of a tweener is probably a little bit different. Sure. Right, right. What they think is big for weight class and what they think is small for weight class. You know, I, I don't really, I don't really know. I think we individually evaluate guys and their body types, and we figure out where we think they're going to be the best, and then we take the steps to get them there. And sometimes we grow guys, sometimes we shrink guys. And I think maybe from the outside, maybe we're doing it a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously you're doing something different because. You guys keep winning national titles, so, you know what I mean? Something's – there's, there's not magic water up there. Somebody's doing something right. So um, I wanted to ask you your thoughts about the collegiate wrestling season, the one versus two semester debate, um, your, your thoughts on the importance of dual meets, and if you think there should be a national duels and how it should be handled. And I'll just be quiet and the floor is yours. Um, well, that's – I guess the whole idea is some of the stuff I just have a harder time wrapping my head around. Um, you know, your last question, should there be a national duels? I think more, I think there can be a national duels. I think there's there's a place for that. I, I'm just, I'm not really too supportive of the way it's going right now, and, and maybe that's just the way it's going to be, and I'm willing to concede that, you know, I might be the one wrong on this. I mean, I'm wrong on a lot of things, but I just, the, the whole idea of moving to one semester sport, I understand the arguments. I've thought about it a lot. I think that, I just think it's going to be too much. And when I think about promoting our team, I mean, that, that, that's what we use duels for. We use it to fill the stands. We use it to promote the team. And if we're moving into one semester and we're starting there, we've just taken our footprint, so to speak, and made it smaller. And kind of what I worry about is, man, if we we start running matches or we start running duels like in December after finals or we do them in January, we've taken away three or four weeks where we even have students on campus. Cause that's one thing I, I, 
what you try to do is we do our schedule, and it doesn't always work that out, out that way, but I try to make sure when we do dual meets that there's students on campus because, you know, those are the future supporters of the program, the future booster club members. And if we take away certain time frames and not let a program promote the program the way they think is best or what works best for their situation, I think that we're, we're losing, in on, losing out on a, a potential fan base. I do understand the difficulty of length of the season, but, you know, we're still looking at potentially doing the same number of matches. I mean, I would rather go from not necessarily a, a two-semester to one semester. I, I would be more open to maybe doing the season can start after the Thanksgiving holiday or the Thanksgiving weekend, something like that. You know, that gives those guys another three weeks to get in, maybe get weight certifications done, which seems to be an issue. It kind of moves it away a little bit more from midterms as far as a, a academic standpoint. But, you know, when we come back from November, we still have a couple weeks where we can fill gymnasiums. I mean, mm-hmm. we, yeah. we, were out at, we were at Lehigh this year, first week in December. They had their biggest crowd ever in, in, uh, in an ice hockey arena. Yeah, they yes. killed it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. And, and it was I a good that... dual meet for them. Like, they were competitive with you guys, right? Oh, heck, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It was a tough dual meet. Jeez, it was came down to the end for us. It, it was one heck of a, a, a match. And I think that there's there's ways to be creative and fill gyms. And if you take away our weekends and move them to where there's not, not students on campus and take away our presence on campus, I think that's that's a tough way to go. Because we don't try to do dual meets after that final break, and we try not to do them before the Big Ten schedule gets started in January because there's no one there. Right. Now, we, we still sell out because we have our our, uh, our season ticket holders, and we'll find people to move into those spots. But, you know, we also understand that our situation's a little bit unique and that, you know, we're able to do that. And I, I just don't – I think it's too much. Right. Once we hit January to get all those, those matches and competitions in before the conference tournament, I mean, that's, that's just a lot. I think we're asking a lot of our guys. And it's, it's tricky because they're trying – I think they're trying to make it a one-semester sport for academic reasons, which I think theoretically most of us would agree with. But if you push it back, even if you do the three-week thing like you're talking about, maybe to get away from the NCAA basketball Final Four, once you get into April, any city that has an NBA or an NHL team – can't host the nationals because they don't know those playoff schedules. And so it takes out a ton of cities that have have historically held it. Like, you know, like Cleveland couldn't host it. um, Pittsburgh couldn't host it. St. Louis couldn't host it. And, you know, it it seems like no matter what you do, there's just a lot of moving parts on this thing. Right. And I don't, I mean, one thing that's interesting about the academic debate is I've thought a lot about this. I find that our guys do better in classes, and I think anybody, is when there's structure. People do better with a structure. And when we're in season, they have the structure. Sometimes guys have the hardest time with classes when the season ends. Because all of a sudden, it's over. They don't have the same type of structure that they had the, 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 the day in, the day out, knowing what to expect. So I don't know that it's necessarily going to help out academics. You know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But, so I think maybe if we started after Thanksgiving, it gives them a few more weeks midterm but you know kind of one thing that um had an older coach uh i don't want to say older coach uh he's he's since retired and built a couple really great programs had a lot of wisdom i remember to him about the whole do you redshirt or not redshirt guys and he he told me and this was several years back he said if i feel like there's an academic concern with my athlete i do not redshirt them their first year he said they wrestle because they because they have a structure, it's what they're used to, they're used to training, they're used to going to class. And all of a sudden, they don't have as much structure because they're not competing and we're off traveling. Um, he said, I, I think they do better the other way. So I think there's some debate as to what will actually help them academically. And then with the whole NCAA championship, too, um, I don't know. I, I'm very nervous about them making the changes because it's working. Right? I mean, I think we had record crowds this last championship am i right on that yeah they sold out in like 45 minutes like they always do and yeah it's crazy and you know pittsburgh's gonna sell out i mean you know that part of the country and then i think minnesota will break the record because they're gonna put it inside of a football stadium so they'll have more seats to sell so yeah yeah, it's you don't necessarily want to mess with something that isn't broke right 
I think it works. And I don't think that even maybe the term is if it's not broke, don't fix it. It's that it's working and it's great and it's an incredible event and it's you know, it's one of a kind and, and I, I don't I just don't really like the idea of, of, of changing that up. You know, and I guess maybe to that kind of the last question you asked then is should there be a dual championship? And I say there can be just the I think it just needs to be done right. I kind of liked what we did the last couple of years where there was a dual meet series and we had a champion and we wrestled because it all it did was it carved out one weekend. It was one additional match. It wasn't too much on the guys. It wasn't asking teams to go above and beyond what they would regularly do in a season. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, we wanted to do it again. I think, you know, there was a lot of big programs that, that were supportive and wanted to do it again. I just, you know, I think there was some, I thought, and, and I might be wrong, is that I think that some individuals that want to see the national duel become like the team champion of our sport really didn't want that to be successful, right? They wanted something else to happen, and so there we don't have the participation. Because I liked what we did. I thought it was great. You know, my overall philosophy is that the national championship as is should be what determines the team champion because we're an individual sport and guys should be able to score across, you know, the field like yeah. we do now. I, I like it that way. I love dual meets and they matter to us and we put our heart and soul into putting them and building a product that people will come watch and see. And we have that. But when we're talking about determine the national champion i like how we do it yeah i think the weirdest thing to me about wrestling is that 80 percent of the competitions are one structure which is a dual meet the national qualifying is another structure which is a tournament in two days and there's very few even two-day tournaments during the season people seek them out to help guys get somewhat used to that and then they determine the national champion on a third format, which is three days. And the team scoring is different in all three of these. You know, you get, you know, obviously we know what dual meets are and we know what the nationals are, but, you know, if you're in the big tens or you're versus like the ACC, how team points, you don't get 20 points for first in the ACC or 16 plus bonus, but you do at nationals. I mean, it's, you know, the lack of uniformity, and I'm not, you know, I guess I shouldn't, you know, my dad always told me if you don't have the solution, don't complain. I don't have the solution, but it's weird. It's kind of be like in football when we go to the playoffs and we go, okay, we're going to have four downs or five downs now instead of four, and 15 yards is the first down. Like, it literally kind of changes how you've scored most things. It's a con completely drastic change. You know, in dual meets, your worst guys matter. In tournaments, your best guys matter. And I don't, you know, I don't know how we solve that. And I decided to bring that up in the 59th minute of our interview. I probably should have planned that yeah. better. But yeah. it's it's an interesting thing to think about, right? Yeah, it is. But I, what I look at is is what's what's the best and makes the most sense for our sport. I mean, really, if you wanted a real champion, you would have every single guy in the country in a bracket and work through, and they score and they work themselves out, right? But that's just a behemoth of a tournament that wouldn't work and. We've come up with the, is the best workable method to make that happen. And I think there's, when you, when you talk about the guys that are the best score the most, and yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's kind of any sport too. I mean, your superstar score the points. I think that you can make an argument that the distribution of points is too top heavy. You know, maybe first place should be, I mean, I'll make up a number. Maybe it should be, you know, five points less and maybe eighth place should be a couple more points, or maybe we should score out to 16 to recognize the contribution of guys that aren't scoring but are still right. you know, nationally competitive. I think there's some ways to work on the score distribution that might make more sense, but I just I don't think a dual meet really accurately represents your athlete as an individual across the sport, and that's what our national tournament does. And I don't know. I kind of worry about a, a big tournament after the national tournament because it's tough. I mean, to go through that tournament that we just went through, um, and then to have guys ready to go again, you know, I, I like the idea of the individual and the team. It, it's all in one. You know, they work together. There's no conflict between what's best for the team and what's best for the individual it works together. Like I said, I think that, you know, I, I don't have all the answers. I just, I don't really like the, the direction we're moving right now. Yeah, it's tough. Like, 
I think people that are trying to push it in the new direction, I think their motives are good, you know, for the most part, like they're trying to make academics better and things like that. It's just, you know, what my friend at the Sports Commission pointed out, the thing about who could host if we, they made that change. And, you know, that was like, wow, I never even thought of that. And so it feels like until you really have all the data and all the, you know, all of it, it's very difficult to have an intelligent opinion about it. So. Yeah. Um, well, it's hard. There's just we, we won't have data on this until it's done, right? I mean, I would like to know what's the metrics we're going to measure success. Are we going to be adding programs? Or is our national attendance going to go up across the board in dual meets? You know, are smaller conferences going to start getting larger dual meet crowds? I mean, how are they going to measure the success of, of the new format? Yeah, I don't know. I would like to see some actual predictions for what I believe is going to happen rather than this might work or we need to make dual meets matter. Right? Um, what is going to happen? But, right. You know, I haven't really been able to see that. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. So, well, Cody, I always have fun talking to you, man. You're such a smart guy, and it's... <laughs> I think you give me a little too much credit. I'll put that out on record. <laughs> I mean, I have the fortune to work with some some great people. Well, that's part of being smart is surrounding yourself with greatness for sure. So um, I'd love to get back with you maybe after the final X up there at Penn State. and We can talk about how that went. And uh, I just, you know, I want to wish you the best. I appreciate you always being willing to come on. It means a lot to me. And um, I'm looking forward to, you know, getting to see you. I'll probably see you at World Cup and at the U.S. Open here in a couple of weeks. All right. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. We'll see you out there. Ladies and gentlemen from Penn State University, Associate Head Coach Cody Sanderson, this is David Mercatani. Thank you for listening. Speak to you all next week.